Let us come together for the prayer of illumination. Let us pray. God of wisdom, as we gather to hear your word this day, calm our spirits and still our minds so that we are able to receive the fullness of your message and respond with faithfulness. Amen. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. When Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elijah, son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall kill. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And the responsive reading from the Old Testament, Psalm 85. It'll be on the screens on either side. 
Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity, you forgave of, your the iniquity of your people. You, you pardoned all their, their sins. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who turn to him in their hearts. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and will make a path for his steps. And from the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The Lord is near the word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says, No one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And also from the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. 
and early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word to us. Let us have a quick word of prayer. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to your sights now and always. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning's message is a direct continuation of last week's main passage. Last week, Jesus had blessed what food the disciples had and fed the crowd of over 5,000 people. And then once the people were fed, Jesus tells the disciples to get into a boat and sail to the other side of the sea, while Jesus stayed behind to dismiss the crowds. Imagine having to address a crowd of 5,000 people and direct them all to depart safely from a gathering place. Even with a team of security officers, it's quite difficult in the best of circumstances. But nevertheless, Jesus dismissed the crowds and walked up the nearby mountain by himself, to pray. And once the evening came, he made it to the mountain and he was there alone. And now the Bible tells us that Jesus went up to pray, but it does not tell us what he was praying about or who he was praying for. And like many of our prayer lives, there is a note of privacy that we are called to respect, no matter how curious we are about the intricate details about Jesus' life. We often ask questions about the big things, but sometimes we can be equally fascinated about the little things as well. But we can infer that Jesus, up in this mountain, is in a state of relative peace, in solitude up the mountain. The scriptures leave Jesus upon the mountain to pray alone and brings us to the disciples on the boat. And while Jesus is at peace, the disciples are in chaos. Anyone who has been on a boat before will know how experiencing sailing can be, especially if you're sailing on choppy seas. The boat rocking back and forth, or even worse, trying to sail a boat in a storm. The scriptures describe the boat as being battered by the waves and being far from the land. And the winds are pulling them away from course and all sorts of chaotic things are happening. And we know that from Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22, that some of the disciples, notably Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were fishermen. And we would presume that they have experience with sailing boats, especially in the same waters of the region. So we would assume that at least one-third of the disciples knew how to navigate a ship even in stormy conditions. 
And yet the scriptures tell us that they seem to be having only just a little bit of trouble. But for those of you who are wondering to yourselves, well, haven't I heard this story before? You would be correct. This exact scenario that the disciples are facing happened once before, earlier, in the same gospel. Turning to Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 to 27, it reads, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. A windstorm arose on the sea, so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep, he being Jesus. And they went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a dead calm. They were amazed, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? In both this story from Matthew 8 and from the one that we read, Matthew 14, the ship is being bombarded with stormy conditions. Winds are raging against the ship, and the seas are battering against the hull. In both instances, Jesus says to them, O you of little faith, why are you afraid? Don't be afraid, take courage. He is like a parent to a child crying over spilt milk. While it might not seem like a big deal to the parent, to the child they are devastated by the loss and by the mess they created. So too are the disciples afraid of drowning and being swept away. And so they rely on Jesus to calm the storm. But there are some differences. In the story in Matthew 8, Jesus is with them, sleeping. He is awakened and he commands the sea and the air to be calm and they are amazed. The second time, Jesus is not with them. Rather, he is walking towards them. And when the disciples see him walking towards the boat, they thought that he was a ghost. But Jesus immediately spoke out to them to calm their fear of ghosts. Now keep in mind that the storm is still raging on the boat at this point. And Jesus is just calmly walking on the water as if you'd be walking down the street. And Peter comes forward and calls out to Jesus to seek him. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Peter comes off the boat and walks on the water and walks towards Jesus. And at first, he saw Jesus and he had his focus on him. But then he saw the wind and the raging waves on his sides and his faith faltered. He began to sink. But he still saw Jesus and knew that he was there. It's like a parent trying to teach their child how to walk. They are there the whole time. But sometimes the toddler falls down. And the parent is there to pick them up and to try again. Jesus reached out his hand and caught Peter. And Peter stands with Jesus once again and walks back to the boat, with Jesus asking Peter why he doubted him in the first place. Now remember that in Matthew 8, the disciples were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? But this time, they begin to worship Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. 
But what made the difference? Why didn't they worship Jesus the first time? What's even more puzzling, that Matthew 14, verse 33, is the very first time that the disciple worshipped Jesus as the Son of God. None of the other miracles or teachings that Jesus did convinced them to worship him. But this instance did. The difference here is that Jesus is walking on the water. He is physically demonstrating to the disciples that he is God's agent, commanding full control of the waters. Even with the rocking boat, Jesus is able to stand peacefully and calmly as if standing on dry land. And in imperial tradition, the emperors would claim sovereignty over the land and sea. The first time Jesus commands the sea and the wind to calm. But the second time, he stands in the midst of chaos. And without even uttering a single command, Jesus demonstrates complete sovereignty over the sea and even the air. He stands on the waters as plain as any of you or I. And amidst all the chaos, he exerts his authority right there and right then. Now, Peter attempts to imitate Jesus by walking on the water because he sees how Jesus is at work. He sees the peace among the chaos, and he is drawn to it. But Peter is only human. He is still surrounded by the chaos and it closes around him, and his faith wavers. And yet Peter evokes Psalm 69, a psalm of deliverance. And Jesus pulls him up from the chaos and into peace. He is the first disciple to experience this peace. When Jesus gets into the boat, the peace is extended to all and what Peter has experienced is given to the others. Jesus provides the necessary elements to reveal his identity and leads to the disciples' confession of him as Lord. And like the disciples, we too have our stormy seas to navigate. Even with all the experience and the knowledge that we have, we are put into situations that oftentimes are just out of our control. We are often overwhelmed despite having the training and the know-how to deal with situations that we have faced before. Some situations don't become easier with experience or with time. Situations that are repeated or worsened oftentimes leave us in other chaos. In First Kings, we learned that Elijah fled for his life filled with shame he says to the Lord, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He has seen the very destruction of altars, of prophets, and even the destruction of the covenant. He is isolated, alone, and yet he finds the courage, finds the strength, 
and finds the faith to keep going. And much like where we are now, everything that we knew, our routines, many of our traditions are suddenly gone. We have been thrown into chaos. No longer can we be so casual about health and safety. Some of us have been able to brave the storm and adapt. Others have not been so lucky. But no one has been able to navigate this situation with a perfect outcome or with perfect precision or with perfect peace. What are we to do in the midst of this chaos? The disciples were terrified not just because of the storm, not just because they were far from the land and were isolated, but because of all that was happening. On top of that, they saw a spirit walking towards them, and they could not see it was Jesus. It could have been a number of entities walking towards them with no way of knowing whether it was a friend or a foe. Jesus calmed their fears and gave them the peace that they so frantically called out for. Peter took the step towards just a peace of peace because he knew that Christ was the only path to peace. But we must remember Peter's example. We are called to take courage and to not be afraid. Easier said than done. But when we put our focus on Jesus, that peace of peace is within our grasp. And like Peter, there will be chaos to distract us. There will be pain and sorrow to pull us away from the path. But we must remember to keep Jesus in our sights. For like Peter crying out to Jesus to save him, we too must look to Jesus to be saved from the chaos that surrounds us. Take courage, be not afraid, and never doubt the peace that surpasses all understanding. Thanks be to God. Amen.